Mark chapter 5. Uh, Jesus has gone to the region across uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is a Gentile region known as the Gennesenes. And there he met a demoniac, and there was a confrontation. And so now uh, we're kind of going into the results of all of this, uh, beginning in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from that region. As he was getting into the boat, The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, graciously open uh, your holy and eternal word to us poor people and establish us in the knowledge of your will and direct all who err in your word uh, to the right way again so that we may live according to your divine pleasure. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, In Sunday school uh, this morning, we talked about two ways to live. And we did some uh, basic elementary training in evangelism. And uh, one of the things that I really like about the two ways to live uh, booklet uh, is that it really is the story of Jesus. And it brings people uh, all the way from creation uh, to resurrection and uh, calls them to one of two ways to live. To continue in rebellion or to submit through faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the objective realities of the gospel. We're going to see much of that here in this particular text uh, and more as we kind of see it. But I, I want us to have that framework as we think about this. Uh, the events uh, by the shore here uh, did not escape notice. And so what happened when people began to hear about the events by the Sea of Galilee? Uh, We saw last week that a herd of 2,000 pigs, uh, that's a round number, drowned in the sea, but their drowning was evidence of the fact that the, the demons, legion, had left the man and that he was now free. And they were destroyed. In the midst of this, we should recognize that this was a small fortune that was lost, and these men were responsible for this small fortune that got lost, and so the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the countryside. Uh, They experienced this, they witnessed all of this, 
And they were frightened out of their boots and ran to tell other people. They were frightened about what happened because they'd probably never seen anything like it before. And they had to report what had happened to the owners of the pigs that were under their watch. They had to give an accounting for what had happened to this income, this livestock that they cared for. They acted, essentially, as reporters, as messengers. That's sort of the, the, the word that's uh, the, the meaning of the word that conveys there, this public proclamation of a story. In this case, it's the story of the destruction of a herd of pigs. It's one of loss. Well, the people that they told responded by going to see the scene for themselves. It's sort of like once you put the crime scene tape up, people will appear out of the woodwork to see what's happened. They see the flashing lights from the ambulance or from the uh, fire engine or the police car. They've, they're drawn to this. These people are drawn to uh, the, the story of what has happened. They want to see everything for themselves. They're sort of like the Samaritans. John chapter 4. The woman, having encountered Jesus, leaves and then tells the people about what Jesus did and said to her. And all of these people go to find out for themselves. These people are coming out of the woodwork to find out what happens themselves, for themselves rather. When they arrive, it's interesting that they see uh, who it was described by to them. Sorry, whew, Those who had seen it described to them what had happened. I apparently can't read this morning. It occasionally afflicts me. Um, They hear more stories. Uh, They've heard about the pigs, and now they get a fuller telling uh, of what has happened uh, here by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, They hadn't probably heard about the demon-possessed man, because uh, they were probably paying attention to the pigs hurting them. And all of a sudden, the pigs run off, run over the cliff and into the sea and perish. And so now these people have the opportunity to hear and see what has happened to the man who was possessed by the legion of demons. They receive a fuller accounting of these dramatic events. In other words, they hear the story in full. But what is important to note here is that we see two different stories. They're not competing stories necessarily, but they're different perspectives on what had happened. We we see two sets of of presuppositions uh, that are at work in what happens here. The herdsmen probably tell of a very scary, dangerous story because it focuses on what happened alarmingly to these, this herd of pigs and the economic loss that follows. The disciples tell a very different story because they tell a story of a man who was tormented by an unclean spirit who has been cleansed And made right, whole. Their story is a beautiful story. But they're ultimately about the same thing. We we see this in other places. For instance, we heard from Acts 16. Uh, Paul in Philippi. 
Uh, there's the, the slave girl who's possessed by a demon of, of uh, spirit of divination. And they set her free. It's really ultimately a story of a, a girl being set free from demonic oppression. Uh, but there's a competing story of those who experience economic loss, who begin to accuse uh, Paul and the disciples, who begin to accuse them of changing the ways of Rome, challenging the ways of Rome. Similarly, we see in Acts 19, where we see the people who, um, because of the preaching of the gospel, see the worship of of Athena or Diana falling into uh, disrepair. Basically, there's not as many people coming to buy their silver idols. And out of economic interest, uh, they appeal not simply to their economic interest, but we don't want the temple of Diana to be neglected. And they begin to um, rally up a riot. So where Paul has a story of people fleeing idolatry, they have a story of economic ruin that must be addressed quickly. It shouldn't surprise us. The differences of stories that take place. Rome, for instance, proclaimed peace, but brought oppression. But we see here, throughout the New Testament, that Jesus brings true freedom, true peace. But I want us to note that everybody has a story. Okay? Everybody tells a story. So what is the response to these stories? Because it's not just about the stories, it's also about how people respond to stories. When the crowds arrive, they see a man, the man, that had frightened them for who knows how long. They probably stayed away from the tombs unless they had to be there, precisely because this man, this madman, is roaming throughout, shrieking, naked and uncontrollable. The man who had frightened them, the demoniac. And there he is, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind. Okay. Mark communicates that because that is the exact opposite of what they were used to with this person. Uh, they weren't used to him being in his right mind. Uh, they weren't used to him being clothed. Uh, they weren't used to him sitting like an ordinary person. Something dramatic has happened to this man. He was naked. He was wild. He was at home with the dead. He was dangerous. And now he's clothed. He's calm. He's coherent. Sitting with Jesus. The encounter with Jesus has changed this man profoundly and for the good. There's reason for great rejoicing. But rather than rejoice, Mark says they were afraid. They were afraid of this ordinary looking man. They were afraid just like the disciples in the boat after the storm had been stilled. Frightened. 
after hearing more about what Jesus did, it's interesting, they begged Jesus to depart. They were a lot like Legion and how they were begging Jesus. Uh, you know, Legion was begging Jesus not to send them out of the region. They want Jesus out of the region. They didn't beg Jesus to heal the sick. They didn't beg Jesus to heal the crippled. They didn't beg Jesus to cast the demons out of other people that were oppressed or possessed. They didn't beg Jesus to teach them. Which you would think that's what they would do. Trophy of grace. I need some of that. But instead it's get away from us. Leave. Their path is not like that of the Samaritans. We see, for instance, in John 4, to return back to there for a moment, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, and that could also be translated as begged him, to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So there's, the Samaritans responded by saying, stay here. These people are responding by saying, Go away. We want nothing to do with you. They're sort of like Peter. We read in uh, Matthew 13. um, Whoops, wrong place. Um, We read in Luke 5 that there was an opportunity when uh, they had come back from fishing and they had caught nothing. And uh, it was in the morning and Jesus tells them where to throw their net, and they're probably, you know, they're like, okay, only because it's you, Jesus, are we going to do this? Otherwise, we're going to bed. And they receive this incredible catch, um, and they pull it up, and Peter's response is like this. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. Peter gained an awareness of his sinfulness and wanted Jesus to flee. These people are aware that something great is in their presence, but they also recognize that they cannot stand in the presence of this person and they want him to flee just like him. They beg Jesus to go away. Their encounter with Jesus means that their hearts are hardened that Jesus threatened life as they knew it. Jesus was going to change the status quo, and they liked the status quo. Jesus was changing their economy, so to speak, just as uh, he changed the economy in Philippi and Ephesus, and there's similar results. There's people that don't want him around. People cling to money. People cling to prejudices. Okay, One of the other problems with Jesus here near the Decapolis is that he's a Jew. He's not a Gentile. Jesus comes and he threatens the status quo. 
and there's no one that is unchanged when that happens. Two ways to live when it, the, the last part of that presentation of the gospel reminds us that there's ultimately two ways to live. You either come under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ or you continue to run from the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was young and I heard the gospel or was called to faith. I didn't really hear a clear gospel presentation, but I was called to faith as a, a young man in college. And I didn't want the status quo of my life to change. I was quite content in my drunkenness and fornication and quest for riches. I wasn't ready yet. But it didn't leave me unchanged. I was harder. And so the story of Jesus leaves no one unchanged. Either they're made better by his grace or made worse because of the hardness of their heart and unbelief. So how did the story change them, or rather him, the demoniac, long term? Let's focus on him. Let's kind of turn from them. Uh, the former demoniac also begged. Jesus is getting on the boat. He's, um, oddly enough, responding to, positively to the expressed desires of the people of the region. And he's getting ready to leave and go back to amongst the Gentiles. But he begs. He begs that he could go with Jesus. His life is so different now. He never wants to leave the side of Jesus. He wants to be a disciple. And here we find the irony of it all. Irony of it all. When they begs Jesus to leave, he begins to leave. When this man begs Jesus to take him with him, Jesus says, "No." Jesus doesn't always do what we think he's going to do, what we think he ought to do. That should remind us of something when we pray. But let's stop and think about this for, for a moment. Why is it that Jesus would say no to this man? Well, I think it's important to note that, of course, he's a Gentile. What would happen if Jesus comes back across the Sea of Galilee and begins to speak to a largely Jewish audience and he's got a Gentile with him. I don't think it would go well. Their prejudices still ran deep. And Gentiles would be considered unclean, even though he has been cleansed by Christ himself. And this would present an obstacle to the preaching of the gospel amongst the Jews in Galilee. We see something similar to this in, in Acts 16. Timothy joins the, the church planting team, but there's a problem, you see, because Timothy's mom was Jewish, but his dad was a Gentile. And Timothy had never been circumcised. 
And so when it comes to Titus, Paul says, he's a Gentile, no need for circumcision. But when it came to Timothy, he's Jewish. This needs to be done not for him, not so that he receives salvation, but it was done so that it would not be a stumbling block to the other Jews that were going to hear the message. This is, in a sense, Paul's application of what he talks about in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, that he becomes all things to all men in order that he might win some of them. Sometimes there are stumbling blocks that we must lose in order to effectively proclaim the gospel to people. This indicates, I believe, the fact that not everyone can go to every people group, or at least at every, any particular time. We have to have wisdom. There may be people that God does not send you to, Precisely because there are obstacles, unnecessary obstacles, uh, that present themselves because of who you are. Nothing wrong with you. It's just they're not willing to hear due to their own prejudices. But Jesus didn't reject him. Jesus didn't reject his service. That's important for us to recognize here. But he has a mission for this man. He says, go home. Not in a bad way. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Uh, The focus here is on his story of transformation. Uh, Jesus reminds him that he has a story to tell. There's a people that he needs to tell it to. And he should go about that. Now, let's pause for a second. This man has just met Jesus. He's not like the disciples. He hasn't been following. He he hasn't listened to Jesus' sermons at all. And yet Jesus says, you have a story to tell already. You once were lost, and now you're found. You once were blind, but now you see. You have that story. Go tell it. The story, the bigger story of of what we find in the, the Bible that is relayed in the two ways to live, informs his story. That he was transformed by the Son of the Most High God. He was set free by the Son of the Most High God, which indicates there's incarnation there. Okay? There's a lot more going on than we initially think about when we look at that phrase. That there's a, there's a confession that God has become man, and now we see that this God-man redeems and rescues this man who has an unclean spirit, and not just an unclean spirit, but a legion of them. So he's going to talk about the power of Jesus to other people.
The story addresses people's suffering too. The story reveals a God of mercy to us. And so, well, did that thing already go up there, Matt? Yeah. I, I want us I to pause for a moment. And I want, I want us to recognize the, the elements that are here. Uh, that there is the objective gospel message. The, the story of creation, fall, curse, redemption through Christ's cross and resurrection. There's the objective gospel. And that gospel comes to people in their story of suffering, of the misery that they experience. And so we have the demoniac here who is possessed by demons. And the Son of the Most High God comes and sets him free. And so his story of suffering now becomes his story of transformation. And he can continue to speak that story of transformation to other people into their story of suffering. Because surely he's not the only one in that region who is suffering from disease or whatever, guilt. He can now point them, that Jesus rescued me. He not only has the objective gospel or elements of it, uh, but he also has his testimony. And so all of you who are Christians here, uh, hopefully you know and can clearly articulate the objective message of the gospel, but you also have a personal testimony of how God transformed you and changed you. How God met you in your suffering in your guilt, in your shame, in your sin, and has transformed you, and now you can tell people about that who are struggling with their sin, their shame, their guilt. You have a story to tell, and it's a much better story uh, than what the herdsman told, or the herdsman of our day can tell. This is a story of salvation. This is a, a story of mercy. Think about that for a moment. Jesus talks about the mercy that you have been shown. Mercy was not something that the original audience was used to. What did Rome do with traitors? Crucified them. In our day and age, what does China do with traitors or those who resist their uh, government, well, the president of China has promised no mercy to them. In one of his more dramatic statements, he talked about the grinding of their bones. That's what these people would be used to hearing. Now, recall, if we understand sin, we recognize it as Uh, as R.C. Sproul called it, cosmic treason. This man was a traitor to the one who made him. This man was in the kingdom of darkness, willingly. He's a rebel. But instead of 
being executed as a rebel, Jesus rescues him, forgives him, restores him. Such is the God who is full of mercy that we see even in the Old Testament as He's revealed to Moses on the mountain. This is a man no one expected to receive mercy, and yet Jesus is merciful to him. And Jesus is able to be merciful to him because Jesus knows that he is going to die the traitor's death for him. And so instead of receiving justice, this man is able to receive mercy. What a rich story he has to tell when you stop and think about it. And that's no different than the story you have to tell when you stop and think about it. No, there's no legion of demons that are involved, right? I understand that. But you were a rebel who deserved death. You were a traitor. And sometimes in any given day, you are still traitorous. But there's the abundant mercy of God in Jesus Christ towards sinners because he came to save sinners. And Paul said that he himself was the worst that he knew. And so this man obeys Jesus. This man went away, which is not what he wanted to do, and he began to proclaim to the region, the people of the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. He was a herald in the Decapolis. In other words, an emissary of the great king in the Decapolis. He's the one who's coming on the mountains, his feet are bringing good news that our God reigns. And not the gods of the nations who are corrupt, uh, but the God of the Jews reigns in His Son Jesus. He is, in a sense, the first apostle to the Gentiles, declaring this message that He was lost, and all of you are lost, but I've been found by someone who treasured me. Not, I didn't, it's not I found my way out, but I was found when I was lost. And so Christian, again, you have a story of how God found you. You have a story of how God rescued you. You have a story of how God has changed you. And just like this man, he tells you to tell it. He calls you to be a herald of his kingdom, of his mercy, of his grace. Another interesting aspect of this is that Jesus will return in chapter 7 to the Decapolis. 
where this man has been running around telling people of the story. And then, people are not begging Jesus to leave. Now, they're running to Jesus, heal me, help me. This man who wanted to go to with Jesus, has been left behind in order to do the work so that when Jesus returns to that particular place in His earthly ministry, He will be welcomed and He will be believed by many. This should remind us of something that Karen said leading up to um, the outreach cookout that we had, is that sometimes it may take years of telling the story. It may take years so you have the opportunity to tell the story. But God uses all of that. And so, brothers and sisters, tell the better story of Jesus. Don't get caught up in the stories uh, that our culture wants you to tell. Uh, Don't get caught up in those stories of despair. Don't get caught up in those stories of the cancel culture where there is no mercy. Tell the better story where there is mercy for the repentant. So if I I could wrap all this up, the big idea would be tell the story of Jesus to change people's lives. But we recognize that he determines how they change. But in this passage, we see that everybody does tell a story. And the story you tell will depend on whether or not you've received mercy at the hands of Jesus. When people hear the story of Jesus and forgiveness, they are changed. Some, loving their sin are frightened. They harden their hearts like Pharaoh and they resist Jesus. Others are rescued by the grace of God and they're put into their right minds once and for all. They have a story to tell that connects people to the great story of Jesus. And so tell the old, old story as the hymn goes And tell the very personal story of how God has changed you. You do have a story to tell. Find a place to tell it. And a person to tell it to. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for obedient people like the man who was known as the demoniac. Uh, We're grateful for people who were obedient like the disciples and apostles were and generations upon generations of Christians who have told their story and your story. And uh, we are people who believe because of the story. Whoopsie. (laughs) It's okay. We believe because people have been testifying to your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ and testifying about how you have changed them. 
And Father, that's how the gospel continues to spread today. So help us to recognize those opportunities and uh, walk in them step by step because you are our God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.